Please listen carefully. 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 Welcome back to Utterly Moderate, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great show for you today. We are going to be joined by Sarah Cofield, who is an air quality specialist at the Missoula City County Health Department in Montana. And our conversation is going to be focusing on air quality, but very specifically, something that affects the air quality in her neck of the woods, wildfires. So it should be a great conversation. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Allie Dagnus. How are you today, Allie? I am great, Lawrence. It is September. I'm in boots. And when I'm in boots, I'm a happy gal. I've busted them out. To me, it's officially fall when you can whip out the boots. So it was like in the it was in the sixties this morning. And I know it's nice. Now, and I love it. Ugh, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. So yes, it is fall. It is the official start of the holiday season because Today, we are celebrating Yom Kippur, and as everyone yes. knows, that is the official kickoff <laughs> of the holiday season. Widely recognized, yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, so, um, I myself am not uh, recognizing, you don't celebrate Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. So, you don't celebrate atonement, but you uh, observe the... Yes. It is the atone it down. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. And and since I am so loud, people ask me to atone it down quite frequently, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and uh, and so I'm not observing uh, today. But uh, Caroline, my 16 year old, is sort of observing. Wait, how do you get the get out of jail free card? You're Jewish. Me. Yeah. How do I get? A, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm Jewish. <laughs> uh, I've stolen a line from the author AJ Jacobs, uh, which is to say that I'm Jewish, like the uh, Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant, uh, which is <laughs> in name only, sort of, um, yeah, <laughs> so not really. Um, but uh, but Caroline is observing. Well, Caroline is half observant because what you're supposed to do is spend the day in synagogue and you're supposed to be praying and confessing your sins and, you know, talking to God about how you will next year, you will be better. Um, and so she's not doing any of that, but she is fasting. And so that's like a half measure. And um, she feels that this is close enough like she's been she's been reading up on it she's she's got my copy of the dummy's guide to judaism and so she's been reading up on it and feels like okay this is this is good uh and her half measure of observing yom kippur has pete in absolute hysterics i mean he thinks this is the funniest thing in the entire world um but he's not getting the texts every hour that I am with her saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> From high school. <laughs> well, no kidding. You're hungry. It's because it's, you know, hmm. it's the afternoon <laughs> and you haven't eaten today. That is a cause and effect. Kind of thing. Well, you missed lunch. So. Yeah. And breakfast. <laughs> I was very happy that I not only didn't have to help her with breakfast, but also didn't have to make her lunch today. Uh -huh. So, um, so I am actually celebrating uh, this Day of Atonement because it got me out of making Caroline her lunch. Um, kind of sounds like how us Catholics uh, do the a la carte observance of our religion. Like we pick some yeah. things, not others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So why yeah. did she pick that particular aspect of the holiday and not the others? 
I am unsure. Uh, she asked if I could take her to synagogue. And I said, uh, no, because we don't belong to a synagogue. Um, and <laughs> she find one. Yeah. It's, well, we know where one is. Actually, there's OK. So there's a there is a synagogue in town. Um, Chambersburg has one hundred and twenty nine churches and um, one synagogue. Oh, OK, well, that makes the choice pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> So that is today, uh, the official start of the holiday season. And, um, you know, as is written, I believe, in the Torah, in the old scripture, scripture, uh, after Yom Kippur comes Halloween. <laughs> well, uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, a la carte Catholics and apparently there are a la carte uh, Jews as well. Uh, it reminds me of the line from um, uh, Wag the Dog, where Robert De Niro is talking to Dustin Hoffman's character at the end. And he's like, we, we succeeded. Like, what do you want? He's like, I want the credit. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. What that's Caroline exactly wanted. right. That's, well, that's what Caroline, Caroline said. You know, this is largely performative. Um, and I was <laughs> so proud. Word? She did. Yes. Academic's a, daughter. She's yeah. very, yes, very sophisticated 16 <laughs> year old and also self-aware. I'm very proud of her for that. You know, like, well, it's largely performative. Um, she definitely wants the credit. So, uh, you know, I, I, I give her, I give her two thumbs up for that. What is fall alley? You're right. And it is the beginning of the holiday season, which is my favorite time of the year. I mm -hmm. love Halloween. I love Thanksgiving. And of course I love Christmas and of course all the weather oh, in between. So, so good. Uh, are you, do you do any big decorating for Halloween? Any big festivities for Halloween? Uh, Halloween is, uh, Halloween is just <laughs> magnificent because it is so much candy. Uh, and in graduate school, I used to eat until I would say to my office mate, Dave Wiltsey, I'm woozy. And he would say, stop eating. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how it works. Yeah. And your kids are just, they must be so cute. Have we already, even though it's just September, have we already started planning our, our costumes? Because I just imagine that your daughters must be so beautiful. What are they going to be? I think I think they have been planning them, um, and and all the kids have great costumes. But the cutest, I have to show you a picture. I'll I'll, I'll post a picture in the show notes. Uh, the cutest was last year, Miles as a newborn baby because he's born in September. As a newborn baby, he was Donald Duck. Oh, and he had the whole thing over his head with the bill and the sock. <laughs> <laughs> it was so adorable. <laughs> that is so freaking... He's walking now, did I tell you that? <gasps> no, you did not. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The whole oh. child proofing. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Because it's been a minute since you've had to start chasing after a waddler. Yeah, and he's all over the place. And he just wants... You know, he's like every other toddler that ever existed. It's like, I will you know, pinpoint the exact most dangerous, most the messiest thing in this room. And I will go like, I'll go for the dog bowl. I'll go for the dog's water. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, no, a hundred percent corners of all the cabinets. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, if there's something that could be set on fire, they will find yes. it. Yeah. So, so the Dagnus household, you hand out candy, do you decorate? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So um, give me some deets on that. Cause I'm a big decorator. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You decorate for Halloween. Oh, I decorate for everything. My friend. <laughs> when we're talking decorations, are we talking like inflatable lawn things? What are we talking here? How I'm big? I'm a decoration snob. Okay. So I don't okay. like those. Oh, okay. Uh, I have built a full graveyard. 
<laughs> that I install on my lawn. Oh my God. What do the headstones say? Are they like people that you know? So back in the day, my dad and I first started this when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. And we so did cute. like the funny, you know, goofy ones. But um, I have gone to, more towards realism now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oh, I have, dear. Like, you know, very oh, old no. dates on them and, you know, unknown and RIP and different Oh, that's so nice. They're full size. I have a fence that goes around the graveyard. I've got wow. all sorts of ridiculousness in the windows. There's um, these uh, things we put over the window so that when the lights are on at night, it makes it look like someone's trying to escape because they're being murdered. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is impressive. I got to come to your house and see when do you put all this up? Uh, probably tomorrow. That is so <laughs> cool. We are going, you know what? That is one of the benefits of COVID, right? We start decorating really, really early for things. Oh, yeah. There's nothing else to do. So. There's nothing else to do. We can't leave our house. So you might as well. If yeah. I got to be here, this is going to be fun. So yeah. yeah, that's a very, very good point. No, I, we pale in comparison to that. I mean, especially Halloween and, you know, we're not even sure this year if just because COVID rates are really, really high. We're not even sure we're going to be handing out candy, which makes me incredibly sad because it was always like a very happy day when I would go to Johnny's Restaurant Supply and buy my favorite candy for us to hand out. And that way, you know, when we just would happen to not hand everything out, we would have leftovers and I would get to be boozy oh, again. Out. I mean, so, uh, oh, we're out. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, oh, dear. My, my cheeks. Yeah, I look like a chipmunk getting ready for winter. <laughs> you know what we did last year with the, with COVID was, um, see, I don't know what your neighborhood's like, but uh, ours is just a subdivision. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of each driveway, we all had picnic tables and we just put the candy there. Oh, that's nice. But so did you get to see around. like the kids going oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. house to house? They're okay. still going through the streets, you know. Got it. Because um, we don't live in like the middle of like a busy urban area. So Got it. Um, but yeah, they would, just, they would just stop and get it from the picnic table. So Our neighborhood is the neighborhood that everybody goes to in order to go trick-or-treating. Yeah, I've seen those where people like show up in like caravans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, when the girls were little, and I'm absolutely not exaggerating, our next door neighbor in the uh, behind us, Miss June, who is a total delight and so lovely. Um, so Miss June um, and her um, friends... They grilled hot dogs, made macaroni and cheese, gave out like hot cider and cookies and snacks, and they gave out plates of food to everybody. And in the course of the evening, gave out 300 hot dogs. Oh, my goodness. Everybody. I mean, and then there was like a before party for the neighbors. And then there was an after party for the neighbors because trick or treating is just very specifically six to eight, period. So you don't go one minute before six. You don't go one minute after eight. And holy cats, she puts on a, a Halloween party like no one I've ever seen in my entire life. Miss June was. Yeah, that's not the same June from Honey Boo Boo. She would give out Sketty, which is noodles and ketchup. Okay, that sounds horrible. I don't know what you're talking about. And that and sounds <laughs> repulsive. You've never heard of the show, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo? No. <laughs> it's on the learning channel. You're learning while you're watching it. <laughs> okay, because I thought you were talking about a cartoon. And I no. thought, well, your kids are young and I missed all show. of this when my daughters were watching Jack's Big Music Show, which was the best <laughs> cartoon in the entire world. Um, kids still come to our neighborhood, though. 
So you're a big, you're not a big decorator for Halloween. What about Christmas? Oh, gosh, yes. It looks like Santa has vomited all over our house. <laughs> Listen, Caroline, your mother's Christmas, the volume goes up to 11. Other people's Christmas only goes up to 10. Ex- that's exactly right. And that's what makes it special. Yeah, I'd love a good Spinal Tap reference when talking about <laughs> a good holiday. Um yeah, I love decorating for Christmas. I really do. In fact, one year, <laughs> so one year, we got a tree and it dropped all of its needles. And I was like, ah, and we hadn't decorated it yet. Um, and so the next day, Pete said, listen, I'll go get another tree. I, I know which kind, I know which kind you like. I'll go get another tree while you're at school. And I was like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. I, I, I know oh, you invaded dear. Afghanistan. I know you're a hero and everything, but this is... A- yeah, what'd you invade Afghanistan for? Blue spruces, huh? Step <laughs> off. This is Allie's territory. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I can do this by myself. Like, all you got to do is tell one of us, like, you can't do that by yourself. And we're like, oh, watch me. So... Hold my wine. Exa- well, yes. And for him, it was just like... Actually, no, give that back and then I'll Speed away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he speeds away and finds a tree and puts it up all by himself. So we put the James Taylor Christmas album on because everyone knows that's the best. And I'm making popcorn and hot chocolate. And suddenly I hear Pete yell, make a hole, make it wide. And I was like, what is going on? And I hear crash and I go in and the tree has fallen with all of the ornaments and lights just spread all over. There's just glass everywhere. Uh. And the girls were, I mean, the girls were like, oh, do it again, do it again. Cause there was just <laughs> stuff everywhere. And I was like, oh. and I look at Pete and I said, I told you it's a two man job. You were so happy to be able to say, I told you so. I was, I was happy and self-righteously indignant. And those are my two favorite emotions all at once. So um, for Christmas, very sweetly, a whole bunch of people gave us some new ornaments. And now that was like 10, 12 years ago. And now, um, we, as we decorate the tree, I'll say, oh, remember, this is Uncle Lance gave us this when all of our ornaments broke. When dad showed how dumb he is. Put up the tree. You know, I don't do that. That would be terrible. Could you imagine? But I do. I mean, but it is actually a very nice memory to put up the, the tree with the new ornaments and old ornaments. I've got ornaments from the from uh, America's Bicentennial. Because my dad went to the Smithsonian and got Christmas tree ornaments of Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and Betsy Ross making the American flag. I thought you were going to say you had ornaments from the centennial. You're very funny. You're (laughs) hilarious. Yes, I am that old. Yep. Me and Abraham Lincoln were there together. Had to. Yeah, I know. You're you're a delight. Well, I may not be a delight, Allie, but our guest today is Sarah Cofield is an air quality specialist from the Missoula City County Health Department in Montana. She is joining us today to talk about the air that we breathe, the quality of that air, how it impacts public health, and very specifically, in her neck of the woods out in Montana, how wildfires are impacting the quality of the air that people are breathing. So, should be a great conversation coming up next. Sarah Cofield, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you trained for all of this? What's your background and what are your interests and how did you get into this field? Yeah. So um, my father, John Cofield, was the air quality meteorologist for the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. So I grew up with my dad doing essentially my job, but for the state. Um, he's, he's, he's an actual meteorologist, though. Uh, and I thought it was the most boring job on the planet. I just, <laughs> oh my gosh, like his, he had a little windowless cubicle, very boring, just computers and maps. And Can boring. somebody get this family a window? Seriously. Oh, goodness right? sakes. You at least <laughs> have a wall, you know? And, and like, just, you can't see the air. And if you can't see the air, it's because it's gross. Um, and we would just, I'd have all these like interactions with him of like, we'd be packing to go on a family trip and the wind would come up. I'm like, where'd this wind come from? I was like, well, there's an air mass. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> um, so I did not, I, I was never interested in air quality. I, <clears throat> I went to undergrad for biology and chemistry and went to work with animals. I did do a stint uh, testing water quality for a couple summers as an intern hmm. for Montana DEQ, which was pretty fun. I liked water. Um, but anyway, What's your father like? You've changed. You've moved away from the family legacy of air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, think he, I think he was just. She's happy a water that. girl now. <laughs> I, I, I think he was just happy that I'm a science nerd. Um, <laughs> and then so I went to graduate school for uh, wildlife toxicology where um, I was working in a contaminated floodplain in Midland, Michigan, looking at um, Jackson and Fearon contamination impact on great horned owls. So I climbed a lot of trees. I pestered a lot of birds. Um, and then while I was working on that, I realized one thing academia is not for me. And I discovered a real passion for science communication. Um, so while I was there, I downgraded my PhD to a master's project and then added a master's in environmental journalism um, wow. because I was like, you know, what's the point of knowing cool things about science if you can't talk about it? Uh, so I was in grad school for six years doing um, all this work, kind of uh, writing a lot of toxicology stuff and then doing a lot of journalism work. Um, and then when I was finishing, grad school in 2010, my dad called me. He's like, hey, there's an air quality job in Missoula. You can do that. I'm like, I need a job. I want to go back to Montana. Sign me up. Uh, so I applied for the job. Dad won. <laughs> he gave me a crash course in air quality as we were <laughs> driving cross country from Michigan back to Montana. Um, so I would be ready to walk into my interview. Uh, I interviewed. Great. I did not get the job. Um, yeah, no, they hired someone else. So oh, I, I spent that summer in Swan Lake, Montana, which is my favorite place on the planet. Um, and I worked in the general store and I went hiking all the time. I sent the doc reading my book had <clears throat> the best summer of my life. And then as fall rolled around, I started kind of frantically applying for any science or journalism job I could, I could find. And, uh, then the health department called me and they're like, Hey, you still want that job? I'm like, Yes, I do. And uh, so that was almost almost 11 years ago now. Wow. And I gave them grief about it. 
all the time for hiring somebody <laughs> instead of me in the first place. Um, cause you well, they didn't have, have a cross country trip that was basically like the cliff notes of the trip. I was going to say, if I want a good job, I can just take a ride with your dad for a few hours. And, That's exactly uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't have a training in air quality. My training is all science, it, you know, biology, chemistry, toxicology, and then a big hefty dose of communication. And it turns out, um, that communication aspect of it is tremendously useful. Um, when you work in public health, a big part of the lift is talking to the public. It's it's explaining to people what's happening to them, why it's happening, um, what they can do about it. Um, so like during wildfire season, um, I, I put out a daily update for my community with information about, you know, where those folks coming from, where it's going to, uh, what is going to be, how it's going to behave during the day, what's happening on the fires, um, how bad it's going to get, uh, where they can find better air quality, what they can do to create cleaner air in their home. Um, and, you know, there's dumb jokes and stuff in them because I can't not have dumb jokes in my life. Uh, <laughs> and they're, with really, they're, they're really well received. You know, I have a lot of folks who, um, really love my updates, which which is awesome because it means that they're reading them. It means that they're learning about the air quality. It means that they're learning what they can do to, to stay safe. Um, they're, help, they're able to plan their day um, and, and know what's happening. So you would think that the, the three science degrees are what are the most valuable, <clears throat> but really I think it's the journalism was so useful um, in, in just increasing that uh, ability and comfort with talking to people um, with, uh, using different media to convey messages anyway, but there was a big learning curve and my dad was still at DEQ, um, for about three months after I got hired. Um, he retired in December, 2010. I started in October, 2010. And it was really funny because he was doing the outdoor burn restrictions for the rest of the state. And I just did them for Missoula County. I would call him and be like, okay, so the forest wants to burn these kinds of piles at this place. Like, what am I looking at here? What should I be considering? He would talk to me about it and we would go over um, things. So he was a really fantastic resource to learn a lot about um, things you're looking at um, for outdoor burn season. And my, my colleague, he was always just like, you just call John Cofield and he calls back. <laughs> like, yeah, I call, I leave messages, he calls me back. It's like, no one else can call him and get a call back. I'm like, oh, it's it's easy. Turns out it's useful to have a dad who does the exact job that you want to do. I, I, I never had a problem getting a call from him when I wanted to consult on an air thing. It was it was super convenient. Um, so you know, I I had to do a lot of learning though. Like I I learned a lot about meteorology. I've learned a lot about burning and um, yeah. So there was there was a big learning curve. Uh, but it's something that I've become really passionate about. Uh, and now dad and I always have something to talk about, which drives my mother crazy because we just can't stop. <laughs> sometimes. There they are. Take your air quality conversation to the, the, the parlor guys. Come on. Pretty much. Pretty much. Like it's, we get going and she's not, she's tired of it. I love it. At dinner tables all across the country, people are fighting about politics or they're fighting about pop culture. And you guys are just like, nope, clean air. This like, particulate this is, uh, is particularly yeah. dangerous, Dad. <laughs> well, we were, at, we, went, we were at a fancy dinner um, uh, about a week ago. 
because uh, I see my parents quite a bit in the summer to go to our Swan Lake property. And um, technically it's on the Swan River. Uh, and I, I actually was like, you know, so dad, you know, when you were talking about uh, wildfire smoke and clean air, sometimes, you know, the meteorologists, they talk about, you know, we're going to have a pulse of cleaner kind of the troposphere coming down to ground level. Like, how can I look for that? Like, how can I know that's going to happen? And so we started having a conversation about vertical vorticity at the di- dinner table. And um, that that's pretty typical for us, really. Um, Your mom's in the car honking. But it's been good. It's been nice to have a meteorologist in my back pocket um, when I used to, to pick something up and, and learn it really fast. I also have an image of of your father also, which I know he's not a TV meteorologist, but it would be really funny if he also was like, yes, honey. And (laughs) for Christmas, we're going to move out to the Christmas tree where there's going to be gifts under the tree. But I'm sure he's he's more like a gnome. Um, (laughs) Wait, wait, I have one of those, too. Here, this isn't going to work for the, the podcast, but. Does he look uh, like that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. so he's got the beard and he wears flannel all the time. Does he have um, a Smurf hat like that? He does not have a Smurf hat. Um, uh. Yeah. It's a gnome no, hat. Um, that's not a Smurf hat. Yeah, so, <laughs> but anyway, so that, that's, I, I, that's how I got into the air quality profession was my dad called me and said, hey, Sarah, there's a job in Missoula. <laughs> so, um, but I, I had to earn my way in. I didn't just get it because my dad. Um, and... So, so I, I do love it a lot. I hear that uh, Montana is beautiful and I am very jealous. So can you just give us a pitch for Montana life? Uh, it's smoky. Don't come. <laughs> <laughs> too many people are moving there. Too um, many, too many. Outsiders oh my gosh, are moving the, the tourists are driving. There's so many tourists yep. on the roads. Oh, mm-hmm. I was driving across the state to see my sister. She's in Billings. And it was like defensive driving all the way from Bozeman to Billings. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. Um, we just not, we aren't used to that having to have defensive driving in the high, you know, interstates across Montana. <laughs> um, uh, no, it's, it's really, it's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, it's uh, sometimes it is smoky. Sometimes you don't get to see the, the great vistas. Um, I like the big variety in the, in the state, you know, you have the plains in the East and the mountains in the West. Um, the rivers are spectacular, um, clear, the clear water is such a joy. I remember when I went to Michigan for grad school and I'm working on this river and it was brown. I was like, why is the river brown? It should be blue or clear. And it just, you know, it's just the tannins. It's not, you know, cause it's super polluted, but it's like, naturally brown was like how is this a thing Um, (laughs) uh, but you know i think that a lot of us especially those of us who grew up in montana we uh we we resent the growing population a a fair bit um because we're used to having uh more space to um just kind of i don't know being our own being our own folks um but it's 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 a special it's a really special place that's really spectacular humans in it as well um, good wildlife uh, lots of bears though I mean lots and lots of bears um, in they come into town um, my my coworker actually lives close to me and um, there's bear poop in his backyard I'm like oh stop being the birds um, 
So, you know, there's, there's bears and there's mountain lions and um, a lot of wildlife you need to respect and know that they're out there. Um, I can still remember the night when I was in Michigan uh, doing field work in the middle of the night because we had a lot of night work and, and realizing that, oh, nothing in this forest is going to eat me. It was such a strange feeling to realize <laughs> that I wasn't going to get eaten in the forest because I'm used to being afraid at night in the forest. Um, well, hold yeah. on, Sarah. You, you don't want tourists. So let me do you a favor. Anybody who's listening, don't move to Montana. The bears will actually eat you there. They, yeah, yeah. They, they might, <laughs> which is bad. It's terrible. I, you know, I carry bear spray. Like I, I, um, I walk my cat, which is fun because she loves it. Um, but it's Wait, like, hold on, it, hold on. You walk your cat? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is new to me. Can't, no, because you can't let your cat go out because another uh, animal is going to come and kill Yes, I got well, you. Well, okay. and also you should keep cats inside anyway because they eat too many songbirds. But um, no, I take her okay, on Okay, that part hikes. I didn't know. Okay. I, I, I take her on hikes and... Um, I didn't think I thought, cats did that. I thought cats were like, you know what? Screw you, human. Not, I'm not doing cats. that. It's okay. Um, you're a mountain actually, lion as a pet. I, I, I was going to say, how big is your cat? <laughs> I uh, Sarah, I, I mean, I don't mean to like ruin your day, but that's a, that's a panther that you have in your <laughs> home. <laughs> she weighs seven pounds. Aww. Aww. Um, and when I, take a her, cute cat. when I take her out, I'm like, this is bait on a string. Um, yeah. So we we try to stay fairly close to home and be on paths with mountain bikers because um, they don't have to be as many dogs on paths with mountain bikers. But um, she's uh, I always have bear spray, and then I start worrying about the bears coming and eating us. So then we run out. Um, so I know I need another hiking buddy, I guess, than just me and my cat. Um, yeah, I just started I, <laughs> I just started Instagram for her last week. Finally. Because she's a really adorable cat, and I want to place place put my cat pictures. Um, we should get you. You know what? We should make you an, an utterly moderate uh, baby Bjorn for you to put your cat in, so that you can I, well, have your cat have, like right there. I have a little backpack. Do you <laughs> a little cat carrier? I do have a little backpack, and when there's a dog, I shove her in it. Um, or if we need to like hurry, or if she's tired, um, then then she goes in it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's bears. What a cat thing. I'm tired. Carry me home, human. Yeah, How can you tell the cat is tired? They all look, they look the same all the time. They look just like attacking my feet. Which yeah, apathetic is what they look like all the time. Her feet, her legs are only like six inches long. She has little short legs. And you know, her, her max is between two and four miles. And then she's like, I'm over it. That's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Good. You take yeah. your cat for a four mile walk. Are you well, insane? Seriously? I carry her when she's tired. So, um, but, uh, Feed me. Always, Feed yeah, me. Sarah, I feel like we're learning scary. a lot about you right now. This is yeah, really yeah. good. <laughs> this interview took a really weird turn, am, but I'm with I it. Let's go. Questions right now. <laughs> keep going. Keep going, Sarah. Once keep you said going. I walk my cat, I'm like, hold yeah. on. All right. Record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually really funny though, because I have included pictures of her in some of my smoke updates, like not really this year, but last year when we had terrible, terrible smoke, I'm like, this was a terrible way to end an update. Here's a picture of a hiking cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then another time, another one was like, you know, there's going to be mountains. I know we haven't seen them in a while. So here's for reference, there's a mountains in the distance. In the front, it's a cat. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's been recognized on the trail 
because of those <gasps> updates. Of oh, she's a nice. celebrity cat. So yeah, so she so she's been recognized a couple times. Um, we should link I, to your Instagram page in our in our show notes for this show. Has the fame uh, gone to her head yet? <laughs> she gets. She's been recognized a couple times, which is which is fun. A little white cat in a pink coat, um, and uh, yeah. So it's 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 fun. Hold on, hold on, wait, 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 hold on. Did you say coat? Well, so her harness, um, it, it looks like a coat. She does have a winter coat, a little blue winter coat. Um, does she have accessories? Not yet. No, no. Not yet. She's going to say yes. She was going to say yes. She was going to say yes. Well, so she doesn't like, she doesn't <laughs> little like boots. walking on the snow because she doesn't little think boots. that it, she does. Exactly. She doesn't think mm-hmm. that it's actually ground. Um, yeah. And there's there's this thing called walkie paws that that I've heard good things about that I want to try them for her um, because then her little toes won't get as cold and then maybe she'll be more of a, a winter cat. She still wants to go outside. All Wait, winter. didn't Charlie Kelly invent those and in Always Sunny in Philadelphia kitten mittens? He did make kitten mittens. Um, <laughs> Do you watch that show? Because they're too loud. All those clomping kittens. Uh, <laughs> yes, she got the reference. This is the best interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, but and then so I know the other weird. I don't think it's a weird cat thing, but I did make them a catio. Um, oh, just just to be clear, Sarah, all of this is weird cat stuff. But go ahead. <laughs> no, no because, you know, cats really. You know, they they. I'm not a big fan of free roaming cats um, because they are detrimental to the songbird population, and then they're at high risk from cars and um, coyotes. Uh, mm. And owls and the hogs. life expectancy for outdoor cats is like a fraction of indoor yeah, cats. Yeah, it's, it's not wild. great. But yeah. cats also really, really, really want to go outside. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so I turned my back deck into a catio, uh, built a pergola <laughs> thing, and then fenced it all in. And now, so my other cat is on the catio right now because otherwise he'd be howling at the door. So he's out on the catio, um, and. Yeah, so I'm I'm that weird person who lives alone with her cats, and then yeah, they're uh, my 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 cats are apparently a big part of my life. And they are, and I love them. Um, so yes, that's that's my cat stuff. We wanted to talk about air quality because, as somebody who does not understand um, outdoors a whole lot. Um, I have to say, like, Allie doesn't even like going outside herself. I don't, I'm, so. really, I'm not a very, I'm not a nature girl. Um, it it feels it feels very unfair that the outdoors are um, uh, dangerous now. But it feels even more unfair that we've done this to ourselves. So, can you um, explain why it is that air quality comes and goes in? Um, in goodness and badness, and can you explain how you measure it? And can you explain what you do? All right. Well, there's there's a lot there. There uh, really so, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm an air quality specialist in the Missoula City County Health Department, and uh, in that role, my my job is mostly regulatory, uh, with a also in a, with a public health aspect because I'm in the public health department. Uh, and what I try to do is reduce human-caused air pollution uh, for most of the year. And then when it gets hot and dry outside, I pivot and really focus on talking about wildfire smoke and uh, trying to convey to my community what's happening to our air quality and why the air is suddenly terrible outside. Uh, you know, 
currently, especially in the summer months, our main focus is that wildfire smoke, that really dramatic outpouring of uh, terribleness that comes uh, pretty much every year now. Uh, not always. 2019 was a pretty low fire year, but lately with our hotter and drier summers because of climate change, we are just primed to burn. And then we have these forests that are full of fuel. Um, you know, the Forest Service had a philosophy of not doing, uh, of putting out fires uh, following the 1910 Great Burn in Montana and Idaho. It was over 100 years ago, and the knee-jerk reaction to that was really, fire is bad. And so for a lot of decades, the philosophy was put out every fire, which didn't really work, turns out, for the ecosystems that had evolved with fire. Um, and so we have this unnatural buildup on the landscape. You know, they stopped that practice a long time ago. Like they've been doing prescribed burning and trying to get fire back on the landscape for quite a while now. But when you have millions and millions of acres that were essentially kept from their natural fire for so long, you get this buildup of fuel. So we have created this system. We have, we've created this setup where we have a lot of trees that can burn and we have then with climate change primed them to burn by getting these really hot and dry summers. And in places like California, you can have a fire season that just doesn't really ever seem to end. You know, at least in Montana, we have snow. So when I'm talking to my, my folks, my, my residents, I'm like, Hey, this is bad. It's going to be bad, but it's going to snow. It might take a while, but it's going to snow. Uh, we got really fortunate in our, um, most recent terrible year, which was 2017, uh, because it snowed in September, which was super weird, but awesome. Uh, and, and so when you're in a place where you get snow, you have this expectation of relief from the wildfire smoke. Uh, when you are in a place where you're less likely to have those snows or um, that the big rains that, that can come through and be season-ending events, you're, you're facing much longer uh, potential fire seasons, which can be really terrible. One of the things I like to point out during any fire season and when I talk about wildfires is, you know, the flames get a lot of the attention. Uh, they're, they're sexy. I get it. Uh, but in the grand scale of things, relatively few people are going to lose their homes to a fire. Hopefully no one will lose their life to a fire, which unfortunately is not always the case. Uh, but every single person in that community is going to be affected by the smoke. You can have a fire smoking out millions of people in California. Uh, and, and that smoke has a very serious and real public health consequence. Um, the, the particulate matter in wildfire smoke, it's really, really bad for you. I mean, when you think about what is wildfire smoke, it is, it's a big old nasty chemical stew. And you have incomplete combustion of biomass. You get just so many chemicals. You know, we... We can name off some of them, like the volatile organic chemicals, like your uh, benzene, choline, and formaldehyde. You have polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, and those are carcinogens. Uh, you have carbon monoxide, which is a chemical asphyxiant. It is typically considered more of a threat for people who are closer to the fire, especially wildland firefighters with their faces up in the smoldering fire during their mop-up uh, part of taking care of a fire. But there is apparently some evidence that it can travel a few miles. 
And then you also have uh, our primary pollutant of concern, and that is fine particulate matter. The very, very tiny particles that are created through combustion that are really less than even one micron in diameter. So when you breathe in the smoke, you get all of these little particles that can go deep into your lung. They can bypass your natural defenses, go super deep into your lung, and can actually pass into your bloodstream. And they set off an inflammatory response. You see uh, worsening frequency and severity of asthma attacks. You see worsened COPD symptoms. COPD is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. That is your um, chronic bronchitis and emphysema. You have uh, increased risk of stroke and heart attack. Uh, you see uh, increased hospitalizations for um, like pneumonia complications. We have recently learned that it affects your immune system, which leads to uh, increased susceptibility to infectious disease. Uh, we know following our 2017 wildfires, the folks here had a worse flu season. And now there are more studies coming out looking at when you have wildfire smoke and COVID-19, uh, what happens with the cases and the health outcomes for people who are exposed uh, to that smoke. And it, it's all bad news. Um, and then you do see increased mortality during a smoke event. So it's, it's really bad. Um, and, and, you know, the longer you're in it, the worse it is for you. And when you have these smoke events that now last days and weeks and months, you have an entire population who is in a situation of if they go outside or if they don't have filtered air inside, their body is getting a constant onslaught of this pollution without any break. Uh, and pretty much everybody starts to feel crummy. Like in the beginning, uh, some people are just like, ah, oh, whatever, it's fine. I like campfires. Um, and then as that drags on and your body just doesn't get any recovery, you start to feel the effects. You know, some people will start to feel it right away. People with asthma or some heart conditions, um, underlying health conditions will start to, to notice the impacts on their body much faster. Um, but other folks, they might not notice it right away. And then as the smoke lingers, and as they don't get any breaks, as their body can't ever recover, they start to feel kind of worse and worse and worse. Um, and it's, it's going to be, you know, tied to that, you know, inflammation of your body just in this constant state of trying to attack these particles and get rid of them, but not getting a, a break. Uh, and, and so, you know, by the end of a really long smoke event, Everybody feels crummy. Y'all have headaches. Y'all have upset, upset stomachs. Um, everybody's mood is terrible. Uh, you know, the sky is gray. You're stuck inside and you just feel cruddy. Um, and then, of course, you have people who are really sensitive to smoke and they are potentially being hospitalized or they are needing more and more of their medication. Um, some of them have to leave the area because it's just not anywhere safe to be. Uh, we had in 2017 in um, one of my uh, my towns in my county, CB Lake, we had uh, regularly 24-hour averages over 200, 300, 600 micrograms a cubic meter of air. I mean, at, at that point, you're chewing the air. I mean, the visibility is down to a block. You cannot see the world past a block away. And you're not supposed to chew air. I know that. I, I know. Like, like that just doesn't seem right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so you have the situation now where large amounts of people are being exposed to really harmful pollution on a regular basis. And there's some things that we just don't know yet. We don't yet know 
what that means. <laughs> I guess as, as strange as that sounds, <clears throat> as strange as that might sound, um, long duration smoke events are a relatively new phenomenon. Um, they really started, at least in Montana, in uh, the year 2000. So we only have two decades worth of experience with long duration smoke events. And even in 2000, that was just that was three weeks of bad smoke. Can I ask you a, um, a, a metric question about air quality? A, f- a friend went back to go uh, home to Nevada and said that they were measuring air quality out of 500. Does that ring a bell? So there are a couple different ways of describing air quality. Uh, there's the actual measurement, which is an okay. micrograms per cubic meter of air. And then there's the air quality index, which is a scale that is used to describe the air quality health categories. And it was developed by the EPA uh, as a way to look at multiple pollutants at once and then assign an index so that people don't need to know like what different concentrations are, whatever pollutant is, if it's PM2.5 or ozone. Is that what I see in my weather.com app when it says yeah. air quality? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So in general, the air quality index is what people are, are generally more familiar with because that is what um, EPA uses. So on that index, uh, you know, zero to 50 is good air quality, 50 to 100 is moderate, like 101 to 150 is unhealthy for sensitive groups. Um, and then uh, over 150 is unhealthy. And then the scale only goes up to um, 500 and 500 is like as high as the scale goes. Um, and it's, and it's, it hits, has just cat- category hits before you get to 500. So if you're like, oh, the AQI is at 500, well, that's the top of the scale. Um, that's not necessarily the concentration. And your concentration could actually be well above 500 micrograms a cubic meter of air. But the, the, the AQI scale currently only goes to that 500. Um, I have a colleague in uh, Washington state who really wants to add an extra level on, on the AQI health category scale. It's for called like death. death. I think he calls it cataclysmic. Uh, <laughs> Close because, enough. Because yeah. we have seen spoke so much worse than where that hazardous air quality uh, level is set. That like there needs to be something even beyond hazardous to describe the smoke that we're seeing. Um, you know, in Montana and Washington and Oregon and California, like we have all had um, these terrible smoke events. You know, I had the good fortune to get to know air quality and public health professionals in um, all these other states, and we all have stories. Um, after the 2020 fire season, you know, some of my uh, colleagues in California, they were just still just looking in their eyes. They were still just so shaken from what they had gone through. Um, that reminded me very strongly of how I felt after 2017, which was my last really bad season. Um, and we all know it can happen and, and we try to try to prepare for it, but it's, it's really can be pretty traumatic of, of knowing that you have a community who's being exposed to something that is uh, so terrible for them. And all you can do is tell them about it. You can't really fix it. Um, but anyway, so if your friend was saying, oh, it was 500, she was probably referring to the AQI. 500 is the top of the air quality index. That's hazardous air quality. Um, that, But the actual concentration, I could not tell you what it was. The air is so hard to chew at that point. It breaks your teeth, I think is the... <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was when the that was when the Nevada fires were right. You know, were just devastating. 
so when when somebody sees that, so I see that on my weather app in the morning when I'm looking at all the different numbers and, and trying to figure out, you know, what it means <clears throat> as a, as a layperson, as just a general, you know, American consumer of this information. When I see that those indices of, of air quality, what types of things should I be thinking about at different levels? Like uh, in terms of like how I should live my, go about my day, mowing my lawn, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, how should this shape my, my actions that day? Yeah. Well, um, first, if you're looking for what the air quality is where you are, uh, I would recommend you go to EPA's fire and smoke map um, because that actually gives you monitoring data. And uh, a lot of the weather apps give you modeled data instead of actual measurements. Um, It varies from app to app. What they do, they use a lot of proprietary models. And I can't tell you a whole lot about... um, how they provide the indices that they do. Uh, but if you go to uh, EPA's fire and smoke map, which is just, I think, fire.airnow.gov, um, you get to see the actual monitoring data for your location, um, including the purple airs, which are low-cost consumer sensors. Uh, the EPA pulls their data into their map and, provide, and provides a correction um, because the purple air sensors are really useful for having like information coming from a place that there's not a regulatory monitor, but the data straight out of the purple air sensors, not always particularly um, accurate. They're really good at tracking trends, um, but you have to kind of massage the data to um, get something that's closer to what a regulatory monitor can seek. They're much more advanced technology. Um, so EPA on their fire and smoke map, they pull in the purple air data and they have, um, applied a correction factor. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. And so that way you can get, uh, eyes on really all the monitoring data that we have, um, and, and see what the current air quality is, uh, at your location. Um, I love that map. I, I send people to it all the time. Uh, and I think it's, I, I love data. I like knowing what the actual measurement is. So I'm not a huge fan of just modeled guesses of what the air quality is. Uh, so if you live anywhere near a air quality monitor or a purple air sensor, that's a great place to find your, your current air quality. Um, and then when you look at that, uh, you know, the health categories, they're, uh, they're, they're useful. The color codes, I think, are really useful. You know, if it's green, the air is good. Go outside open your windows. If it's yellow, you know, it's okay. Um, depending on how sensitive you are, like some folks will will start to feel some, some of the, um, air pollution in in the yellow, but generally there aren't really. That's folks with like respiratory problems, (laughs) asthma, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it gets to the orange, that's where you're going to be starting to slow down a little bit more. That's where folks who have asthma are probably much more likely to really notice it and want to um, pull back their activities, make sure that they have their inhalers on hand. That's when you want to start closing your windows um, and reducing the amount of smoke coming into your home. And of course, if it's red and beyond, then really no one should be running around in that. Uh, And then one thing that's really important to keep in mind with the uh, health categories and outdoor activity recommendations Uh, They are based on the assumption of a single day's exposure. They are not really crafted for these prolonged exposures where, you know, 
you ha- you have it. Okay, it's in the yellow today, and then oh, it's in the oranges, and the oranges, and the oranges, yellow, orange, orange. But it goes on and on and on and on. Um, that's it's based on the assumption you have a single day's exposure. We do not have a health scale, um, a health category index for prolonged exposures. But we do know that when you're in smoke, the longer you're in it, the worse it is for you and the worse it starts to feel. So that's when it becomes really important to pay attention to your own body, pay attention how you're responding to smoke and recalibrate what levels are appropriate for you. Uh, what might have been fine on day one, by day seven, you're like, whoa, I should not be running in this. I'm feeling really cruddy. So, okay, then suddenly, you know, when it's an orange, you even if before you could run around in the orange, you don't do that. Like you tailor your own activities down to a, a lower health category. Um, so I, I, and I, I learned this from uh, talking about it uh, from Susan Stone with the EPA, who helps uh, do a lot of the development work with the, with the AQI. And the way she, she describes it, you know, it's, it's a spectrum and human health is a spectrum. And we just, you know, the, those, those cutoffs, they're not, you know, cut and dry for every single person. Like you really need to pay attention to how you fit on that scale and also really respect the signals that your body sends you. We work with a lot of, we work with a lot of people who've been to a lot of Jimmy Buffett concerts. I think they have a high smoke tolerance <laughs> in our profession. Sorry, Jimmy go ahead, Buffett, Really? That was what, that was what you reached for? Sorry. Our, our old, our old colleagues. Come on. I don't know that Jimmy Buffett was the one that I would have gone with. Grateful Dead, yes. All right, like go ahead, fish, Sure. Yes, fine. Jimmy Buffett. Uh-huh. Um, I was I was going to ask how this has affected your own work because I would imagine that you have to be outside and engaged with the air in order to do the measurements and in order to um, do what you do. And um, has it been a problem for you? And then I guess the second part of my question is, where do you go to escape? from the air when it is hurting your body. Have you yeah. have you been listening to your body as much as you should or do you sometimes oh, not yeah. listen to your body? Oh, oh, I'm, I'm all over it. Um, so actually, the world of the air quality specialist is um, uh, very office bound. Um, ah. My window faces a brick wall. I can't even see outside. Um, <laughs> this one's very our, unfair. Yeah, I, dessert, I know, but it's antenna. okay because our HVAC system brings the smoke to me, so I can know it's <laughs> outside. Um, my colleague does uh, all of our air quality monitor maintenance, so he goes around to our air monitors once a week to uh, check on them and do the, the quality assurance work. Um, but that's, you know, once a week for each of our three monitors. So it's not a huge thing. Um, uh, back before there were purple airs, um, I would drive around and look at the air during wildfire. Uh, especially we had a fire that was far away from, um, or any of our monitors. I would drive to where the smoke was and look at it and then go back as safely, as quickly as I could, but, you know, following speed limits. Uh, and write up my report of what the smoke was doing. Um, now I, I have some people who, if I know that they are live near a fire, I'll text them and be like, tell me what's happening. Um, so I don't spend a lot of time outside uh, in the smoky air, um, even though I am an air quality specialist, but our, our data is all remote. It just gets uploaded to the internet um, every hour. So we don't have to go out and be closely monitoring it. Uh, however, 
what we have learned over the last few years is the smoke comes inside. Uh, and that has become really my um, kind of oh, passion project is, is there necessarily the best word for it, but uh, the other word is obsession. So, you know, pick one. Uh, <laughs> okay, because for years, our public health messaging for wildfire smoke was go inside, close your doors and windows. And when you have smoke that comes by for an hour or two or a day, yeah, it's fine. That, that's not bad advice. Like, yeah, it's okay. Um, but after about a day, uh, that's not good advice anymore. Uh, in a home where you close doors and windows, the smoke's eventually going to come inside because you're eventually going to open a door. Uh, you may have uh, places anywhere you get a draft in the winter. Smoke's going to come through that same place. If you turn on your kitchen fan and, and exhaust air out, that's going to create negative pressure in your home. It will draw smoke in through the cracks in your building envelope. Um, same with like, you know, bathroom fans and other things. Uh, if you live in a place without air conditioning, which is most of the Northwest, you have to open your windows at night. And so most of the smoke is going to come inside. So most people uh, in Montana don't have air conditioning. I, I've never had air conditioning in Montana. Interesting. Um, I think newer homes are more likely to be built with air conditioning, but uh, our nights are so cold. There was never really an issue. It's cooling down your home at, at night. Um, but now you have that, that problem of when it's smoky outside, you're cooling down your home by bringing the smoke inside. Um, so just telling people, you know, close doors and windows, it's not super helpful. And then some people have really leaky homes that this don't create a good seal anywhere. Um, and then you have the problem of commercial buildings where a commercial HVAC system is designed to take outside air and bring mm -hmm. it inside. That is its job. Um, it's right. flushing out the carbon dioxide buildup and all the other nasty things humans create because we are filthy creatures. And, and adding ventilation into the space. Um, and there's not currently a requirement that they have filters to remove fine particulate. Um, there is no indoor air quality standard for particulate matter. And there's no requirement that building managers do anything to prevent smoke from coming inside. And also, I think there's just a lack of understanding and knowledge of what it takes to prevent that smoke from coming inside. Because this is all still relatively a new thing being researched and being looked at. And so what you have is these uh, HVAC systems that bring in outside air. They do get nominally filtered because you want to take out bugs and other things so they don't mess up with the machinery. Um, and they just get dumped indoors. And we have found locally that a lot of times the indoor air quality in these commercial buildings can be quite similar to the outside air quality during smoke events. Oh, no. Um, it doesn't seem to, and, and, it, and we see that even with, if you have like six or seven buildings all using the same filter, um, depending on how their HVAC, how well their HVAC is maintained, um, that will dramatically differentiate what their indoor air quality is like. Um, so we found a lot of delayed maintenance on HVAC systems um, because like smoke, HVACs aren't sexy. And people just, I think, kind of assume that as long as the air is coming in and it's being cooled, that it's, everything's working just fine. Um, but if you have, for example, your damper is broken open, so you can't ever stop the outdoor air intake, you're just going to have smoke coming in over and over again. Um, if you aren't 
replacing your filters when they need to be replaced. You get a completely blocked, filled up filter. The smoke's just going to go around it instead of through it and just have smoke coming straight without even the nominal filtering they would otherwise have. Um, If you have your filters kind of jammed in there and like have gaps around it, then you have smoke that go around it. Um, So we found a lot of uh, delayed maintenance in HVAC systems. Um, And I understand, you know, if, if you're, if the air's good outside and your indoor air is being air conditioned, then yeah, whatever. Um, but when the outside air is suddenly, you know, toxic, um, it, it's, it's time to start paying attention to your HVAC maintenance. Um, you know, because if you can shut down, shut down off the outdoor air intake and then recirculate your building air through a better filter, you can actually clean it. Um, you, you don't have to have that indoor air quality in a commercial building. You, there are steps you can take. Um, I think there's just as a general um, uh, lack of awareness, like folks just haven't really felt, uh, haven't really had the opportunity to learn about this. They haven't um, uh, had the guidance on it. Uh, but happily in February of this year, ASHRAE, which is the uh, American Society of Heating and Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers, ASHRAE, A-S-H-R-A-E, um, they released guidance for commercial buildings. And we're talking schools, libraries, offices, malls, movie theaters, all these places people think they should go when it's smoky outside. Now there's finally guidance for them on what they can do to create that cleaner indoor airspace. Um, because we would tell people, for years, okay, well, uh, if it's smoky outside and have, you, know, you, don't, you don't have air conditioning, go to the library or, you know, go to the mall or go to these other places of air conditioning. We just assumed that they must have clean indoor air. And then, you know, we and some other groups started measuring it. And we're like, oh, oh, actually, um, indoor air is only cleaner if people are actively trying to make it cleaner. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it might be better. Like, it's probably better than outside, but it's not necessarily good. Um, so, for example, if you are someone who, well, I don't want to go for a run outside because it's so smoky. I'm going to go to my gym and run there. I mean, it might not smell smoky and it might be a bit better, uh, but it might not be better enough. Um Sort of false sense of security. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of these, these buildings that they want to provide clean indoor air, like that's, they want to say, Hey, come here. We have clean air. Um, when it's dangerous outside, we have this safe place for you to exercise. Um, and it just needs to be something that, that folks are, we're active about. We can't just assume that because you have air conditioned air, these also have cleaner air. Um, so I'm really excited about the guidance that was released because this has been something I've been really focused on for a long time based on some of the data that we've collected over the years on indoor air quality. And um, it, it's, I think it carries a lot more weight coming from ASHRAE. Um, so I'm, I'm just so happy ASHRAE came to the table. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I'm hopeful that we'll see more uh, buildings like turn to that and say, we're going to follow this guidance. Um, they're currently, as I said, there's not any requirements around it. Um, but, but I think that, you know, people want to provide clean indoor air. I think they want cleaner for themselves and their employees and their customers. I'm sure schools want it for their students. 
Um, one of the happy coincidences, not only coincidence, but one of the, the good things is um, the recommendations for wildfire smoke, the, fil- the filters and stuff. They're the same as the recommendations for COVID. It's the same filters. Oh, wow. Um, so if folks have an upgrade in the HVAC systems, putting in filtration uh, That's for great. COVID using, using better filters, uh, those same filters are uh, effective wildfire smoke. So um, that's a little, little shining, shining uh, lining, I guess. Um, if you got some ARPA funds to do HVAC upgrades, um, target those HVAC upgrades on imp- increasing your filtration ability, and then you'll be kind of, you know, serving both purposes. You said you spend uh, <clears throat> until wildfire season. Uh, you spend most of your year looking at other sources. So what are some of the other sources? So besides wildfire, when you see spots of the country, you know, areas of the country that aren't, that have low quality, what are the, what are the usual culprits? Yeah. So in Montana, our really big air pollution concern is PM 2.5. So that's particulate matter, two and a half microns in diameter and smaller. And that's what we measure in wildfire smoke. But it's also produced with biomass burning uh, in homes so um, and of debris. Uh, so, you know, during a wildfire, there's really nothing we can do about it other than say, hey, this is terrible. Um, but there are a lot of human-caused sources of PM2.5. So outdoor burning, um, people who burn their yard waste, or if they live in the forest and they are doing hazard reduction projects where they're um, doing a lot of logging and creating safer spaces around their homes. They have these big piles of um, tree waste that needs to be disposed of. You have the Forest Service uh, going through doing prescribed burning and um, also logging, so big piles of burns. Um, and then just people who like to light their backyard stuff on fire. Um, I've, I've learned over the years that people like fire uh, and you said it was sexy. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they uh, they they will it burn? Um, we're anyway. we're gonna we're gonna put fire in the title of this episode, and next episode is gonna be HVAC. We're just gonna yeah. really nail down those, those demographics. Yeah. Um, so uh, th- this all creates a lot of smoke. Um, and I coordinate all of the outdoor burning for the county. Um, so if anybody wants to light something on fire, um, to dispose of it, they basically have to get my permission first. Um, and we have a permitting program for people to get, um, outdoor burn permits. And then, um, that the burn seasons, there, there's specific months of the year that people can do their fires. And then I make a decision, um, every day during burn season of this, is this a good day? for people to be putting smoke into the atmosphere or not. Um, and in the spring, it's pretty much every day is a good day because there's a lot of turbulence in the atmosphere. The smoke goes up and it goes away and doesn't really cause a problem. Um, but as we get into the fall and closer to winter, it, the air quality dispersion, it gets really worse by the day because the nights get longer and colder and um, the smoke can't really go anywhere. Um, we have in the West and well, any in mountain valleys, such as the West, any mountain valleys, um, temperature inversions where at night the cool air from high up in the mountains flows down and settles in the valley floor. And you get the, this pool of cold air that can't move and any uh, pollution that you put into it just gets stuck in this layer of cold air. 
And you have, it's called an inversion because you have warmer air above that trapped cold air in the, in the valley floor. And that cold air can't move until the sun rises high enough to heat up the ground, which will then heat up the air and then cause it to rise and take the pollution with it. So as inversions get stronger, as you get deeper into the winter, because the sun angle is a lot lower and the nights are really long and cold, um, the inversions can last, last for a really long time. And you just end up with the smoke just building and building and building all down on the valley floor, which is where the people are. Um, and so we want to limit the amount of smoke that we put into that inversion layer um, as it gets uh, colder and later into the season. So we don't even allow our outdoor burning in um, December, January, and February because um, it's, it's just not a good time. Um, and then if you have snow on the ground, it gets even harder for the inversion to break because it reflects the sunlight. Um, and you can end up with inversions lasting for days and days and days and just get this filth building up because you also get particulate from car exhaust and from residential heating, um, especially wood stoves and fireplaces. Um, wood stoves and fireplaces are our primary source of human-caused uh, particulate pollution in uh, Montana, at least in Western hmm. Montana, where I am. Um, we have uh, done a lot of work in Missoula to reduce the pollution from these, these sources. Um, back in the late 80s and early 90s, the smoke and wood stoves would be so thick that the streetlights would come on during the day. Uh, yeah, like it's, wow. it's bad. It was very, very bad. Um, they had a study that I think was done in the 80s looking at the lung function of kids in Missoula compared to kids in the less polluted part of Montana. And the, the kids in Missoula had reduced lung function compared to the kids um, oh, in no. cleaner places because we just have this valley that is completely enclosed by mountains and um, people were heating with a lot of lot of wood and just led to really terrible, terrible, terrible winter air pollution. Uh, so in uh, Missoula, in the air stagnation zone, which is an area that goes about four miles outside of city limits, um, since 1994, it's been illegal to install a wood stove or a fireplace. And when the property sells, uh, any, any existing wood stoves need to be removed. Um, and that has done a lot for air quality. It is, it is so much better. It is so much better than it was. Um, you know, I grew up in Montana. Like everybody knew Missoula had terrible air quality. Like we, um, back in the day, it had a paper mill, so it smelled bad too. It was like oh, you drive no. through it on your way across the, the stadium, like, oh, this is terrible. You um, drive in, the sign that welcomes you says, welcome to Missoula. You can chew the air. Oh, yeah. And we it, we made National Geographic, I think, in the Come 70s. Come our air. air quality. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and like our, our air quality journey started, I think, I think the our air pollution control program got started in the 60s. Um, we've been around for a long time uh, because even before the residential heating became a big issue, we had uh, residential, not we had industrial sources for our, our big pollution issue because there were teepee burners, which are um, essentially like wood waste burners for um, like mills and whatnot, where they have just a ton of waste from the trees that they've cut down. And they just burn them in town, essentially, in these big giant uh, um, industrial burners that just like filled the valley with smoke. Um, and then we started getting the Clean Air Act in place and getting in, uh, industrial rules um, in place, reducing industrial air pollution. 
um, industry has just really kind of become such a smaller slice of our pollution issue here in Missoula. Um, it, it really is entirely mostly um, everybody else and the wildfires as our main pollution sources. And people really, I think, would, would like to say, oh, it's industry. It's that, that paper mill over there. I'm like, actually, um, it's not. <laughs> Look in the mirror. <laughs> like they have, they have a lot of pollution equipment in place and we inspect them all the time. And like we, you know, they, they do have some, some emissions, but, um, you know, compared to everybody also having a little bit of emissions, um, everybody else adds up to more. Um, so we've done a lot in Missoula to reduce our human-caused pollution by, you know, we regulate outdoor burning and we um, regulate woodstoves and fireplaces. Um, there, Our solution, though, in Missoula doesn't really work everywhere. Um, you know, we have another town, um, Seeley Lake, which is the same place that was smoked out so horribly um, uh, in the 2017 fire season, where... Wood really is their most reasonable heating source. They don't have natural gas. Um, it's in general a, a lower um, economic uh, bracket. Um, wood is essentially free. You know, they live in the forest and it's not actually free because, you know, there's wear and tear in your vehicle and your time and all the effort goes to cut your own wood. But um, it's perceived as this, you know, less expensive fuel source. Um, it, they don't require electricity, which is important when the electricity goes out in the winter, you don't want to lose your heat um, in Montana. Um, and it, it's just, it's the, the cheapest option. And it's also a big cultural, um, it's a big cultural touchstone in, in these mountain valleys. Uh, so, you know, Historically, in 2009, we started measuring the air quality in Sealy Lake, and they would have nights with particular pollution that rivaled a wildfire. Um, you know, the, the National Ambient Air Quality Standard is 35. They would have, you know, um, hours like well over 100 um, wow. per cubic meter of air. Like it was extraordinary looking at how bad it was. So we um, and my, my coworker did all this. <laughs> I was mostly just a cheerleader and helper, but, um, we got about a half million dollars of grant worth in grants, um, and spent a couple of years replacing as many of those old wood stoves with, with good new ones as we could, um, in 2012 to 2014. And, you know, it's not fixed yet, but it is a lot better, um, by, by replacing, I think like over 70, um, really old, nasty wood stoves with um, nicer, newer ones with some better technology. Um, it's a lot better. You know, they still exceed the standard more than um, we'd like for, you know, the health, the health of the community, but it is better. Um, well, you're it, out there, you're out there, you mentioned that it's like a cultural touchstone. It's a way of life. And I'm assuming that, you know, South Central PA life here is very different from Montana. So you are out there asking people to do things that, that sort of go against their cultural norms. And you're also the point person for whether they can burn. Do you get a lot of pushback? I mean, does it, you know, it seems like you're a person that could get a lot of flack. Well, you know, it, it varies. Um, I happily, I was not the point person for the wood stove change out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when we did that change out, we involved the community, you know, we didn't just go to see the like and say, you need to do this. 
Um, we met with the community. We were really engaged with the community council, um, the main employer in town, Pyramid Mountain Lumber. They were involved. Um, the fire department was involved in this. There's a lot of outreach. Um, and then instead of us, like we never stepped foot in anybody's homes. Um, we provided funding for people who were, were interested in participate, participating in the change out. We, um, I think it was like $2,700 we provided toward a new stove. They could go. We had like all the vendors in the county that were in, wanted to work with us. Um, they could just, just, go just, uh, just for a, just for a baseline of understanding how much would a stove cost in total? That is enough to cover the stove, the installation and some repairs. So significant. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Um, now you could for a, a, a mid, a mid range stove, um, people who wanted a really fancy stove, they had to pay the rest. Um, and, and we arrived at that amount after talking to some vendors and looking at what's on the market and what would work and meet, meet what we wanted. Um, so people could go to the vendor and just pick out their stove as long as it met our minimum emission requirements. And then the vendor would install it and get it up to code. And we were able to fix a lot of really scary, dangerous fire situations for people who had stoves that were out of code um, and give people better heating devices. Um, and, you know, the community in- interest was pretty high. You know, I, we had, they responded well. They, 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 they saw did. it as a positive. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, because it wasn't <laughs> we, we, we tried to be as in the background as humanly possible. We didn't go to their doors. Uh, it was all other community members and um, the fire hall and the vendors. Um, the vendors, then we had a contact with them where they then went back to each place to talk about education, how to use it correctly, and mention people were burning as well as possible and just trying to keep government out of it. Because um, this is, you know, it, it's it's a community effort more than just mm-hmm. us going in and telling people what to do. Because um, no one wants to hear that. Well, it sounds like a success story. I'm used to hearing like horror stories of government programs so and yeah. regulations. So this sounds like a success it, story. It it it's gone pretty well. Um, you yeah. know, like I said, they they still have um, more smoke than we'd like in the winter. Uh, and if the technology had existed at the time, we would have um, wanted better stoves. Uh, but the wood stove technology has been kind of evolving even over the past ten years. Um, to now if we were to do it again and know we know now about how wizards are tested and how um, to really get that at reduced emissions, we would have um, gone at it a little bit differently, but we're still pretty pleased with um, the reductions of, of smoke that we've seen. It is significantly improved. Um, we aren't there yet. We aren't, it's not, it's not there yet. And uh, if uh, it would be a non-attainment area, if it was um, had a regulatory monitor in it, probably. So um, there's more to do, uh, but it is it is a lot better. Um, and it was just it was a great example, I think, of how you can work with the community to help them uh, through a problem instead of coming in and just throwing down rules immediately. Um, you know, we don't want rules if we can avoid them because they're nobody nobody likes them. Nobody wants us to come in and tell them what to do. Um, but if it's necessary that that's the next step, we don't, we don't want it, but it might be the next step. Um, so it's, it's hard, but because with the, it is such a, a cultural thing and, and people who have wood stoves and who grew up with wood stoves, 
it's a big part of their their home. Um, and it's not just in Montana. Like that is uh, uh, we've, we've heard from people in other parts of the country that that it, it is it's a cultural touchstone. Um, so anyway, unfortunately, they also produce a lot of smoke. So it, it's one of those things where um, as the technologies improve for wood heating, we get more and more options to um, continue with wood heating, but in a, a better way. So we're excited whenever we see those advances in, in wood stove technology. But there is there is. There is a ways to go before I would particularly want one for myself, um, but uh, we, we are we're getting closer. Now you're from you're from Montana. Are, are most of the folks that you work with from Montana? And does that work better when you talk to folks in the community? Like you're one of them. Well, I, you know, I, it's not. Well, I'm from Montana, so I'm from Helena. Grew up in Helena. Went to uh, college in uh, Washington at, at Whitworth and then graduate school in Michigan and Michigan State and then um, got my butt back to Montana uh, as soon as I finished all my degrees because I was like, need mountains again. Um, so I'm from Montana. My coworker is actually from Minnesota, but he's been here since uh, either I think the early 90s. Um, so he's got some, he's got some street credit. He's been here for a long time. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a fair number of, of Montanans, but I don't know. I, it's hard for the whole health department. They were starting to get kind of an array of, of uh, originations. Because there's a big migration, right? To Montana. Now I've been reading that a lot of people from around the country are moving to Montana. Yeah, there's, there's definitely people coming here. Um, and they, they want wood stoves in, in Missoula and we tell them no. Um, and, you know, there's some education on the outdoor burning front on that, of course, with folks who maybe aren't used to needing a burn permit or aren't necessarily where what you can and can't burn. Um, the only thing you can burn is untreated wood and vegetation. And sometimes we get folks who want to burn other things that are not good to burn. I mean, all smoke is toxic, but some smoke's extra toxic. Um, so, you know, there's there's certainly uh, a learning curve for folks who come here and um, need, need to learn more about uh, things we need to do to control our air pollution. Um, and, you know, it's not even just, uh, you know, we have rules for paving requirements to control dust. And we have a fairly robust, robust uh, air pollution control program. Um, and it's, it's made really a tremendous difference with our air quality. You know, we were a non-attainment area for PM10, which is particulate matter 10 microns in diameter smaller. And we were a PM, a non-attainment area for carbon monoxide, but we have been in attainment with those pollutants for years now. Um, so I think that our air program is a success story. Uh, one of the things we run into with people. All the time, though, it was like, oh, the air is good, so we're going to have wood stoves now. I'm like, no, the air is good because we don't have wood stoves. The mountains are still here. Inversions still happen. Like, it's, it's Isn't that funny how that, that happens with so many social problems and, and public health issues? Like, we did all these things to, to remediate this issue. It goes so now away. Go now let's do it. the stuff that we just yes. stopped yeah. doing to solve exactly. the problem. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, so that's... That's a challenge. Um, yeah. One of the yeah. things that we're they're working toward, that, like that that balance of how much can you get away with, 
um, is like with prescribed burning. So I am a big fan of prescribed burning. I think it's awesome. I think it does a ton for the ecosystem um, and it can change fire behavior should a wildfire come up to a parcel that had been um, previously underburned. Um, but prescribed burning does reduce smoke and uh, trying to time it so you can um, get that smoke into the air and then get it to leave the valley before it causes a problem, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, and sometimes we have oopsies and then that smoke comes and settles in the valley and people get mad. Um, and our local forest service and all of our um, kind of lands, uh, our, our land agencies are working really hard on um, wildfire adapted Missoula, which is a big project to really get the Missoula Valley better prepared for future catastrophic wildfires because it, it's, it's going to happen. If you look at a map of the wildland urban interface for Missoula, like the only part of Missoula that's not technically wooey is the mall. Um, so even though like we don't have forests all the way into town, we're all just still close enough to it that, it, that it's a risk. Uh, so we have this really big plan to get Missoula better protected from wildfire and it needs a lot of burning. Um, and so the challenge is going to be um, balancing that need for fire in the landscape with the need for clean air um, for, you know, all the people who live there. So, you know, you have this this task of every um, spring and fall trying to find these perfect burn windows where you get as much acres burned as possible without causing an impact. Um, and, and that's hard. And, you know, and my own. Uh, my own approach to this has really evolved over the years. When I started doing this like 10 years ago, I just like, ah, no, don't burn anything. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I think it's really important. We do the burning. Um, let, let's see what we can get away with um, and, and trying to be more willing to go after these larger acreages if it looks like we can do it and then dialing in um, what really works. I've been really fortunate to have some really talented burners with, with the forest service um, and stuff working on these projects. Um, but there's, there's so much to do. Uh, and so that's going to be one of our, our big challenges going forward is trying to get this resilient landscape in place um, and do so without uh, or harming anybody. Um, and, you know, the folks who do the burning uh, at least here, the ones that I know, cause I talk to them all the time. I know that they care really deeply about limiting smoke impacts. Um, so it's, it's one of our, our constant challenges, but we're, we're working on it. Sarah Cofield, thank you so much for joining us. Hester, you as well. This has just been <laughs> terrific. Thank you. This has been fascinating and, uh, and important, and we really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Utterly Moderate Podcast. Before we go, we want to remind you to visit our website, utterlymoderatenetwork.com. There you can find all of our podcast episodes and their companion resources, our guide to reliable news outlets, the contact page where you can suggest topics for future shows, and more. That's utterlymoderatenetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us on our next episode. And until then, we'll play you out with friends of the show, the Riders in the Sky. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you
smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet Good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you.